Welcome to the Before You Buy or Sell a Business podcast, where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process, discuss recent transactions, and stay up to date on the latest news in the market. Here's your host, Jared Johnson. All right, today we've got Trent Lee, who's with First Choice Business Brokers out of Las Vegas. So Trent, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Awesome. So looking back at your you know, background, let's see. So 2019, you were the IBBA, so International Business Brokers Association. You were the outstanding producer. You were also in 2019 top individual deal maker. 2020, you did it again. And then 2021, you're also the top individual deal maker. So maybe give us a little quick background on what that means. That means I've been busy. <laughs> that means I've done a lot of deals. So there are guys out there in the country that do bigger deals than I do. But there's no one at this point, at least the last three years in a row, that does more deals than I do. So I do a lot of transactions. So what's a, what's a normal year then for, out of those, that, those years? To how many did you do? Yeah, so funny enough, COVID really was was not for us at all, or me, I guess. I did a lot of deals through COVID, so I consider myself blessed, lucky, whatever, you know, however you want to call it. Most years, 50-plus transactions. Wow. Yeah, yeah that, that is definitely a lot. Yeah. I know there's some brokers that do two, three, four a year. So, yeah, I think you, you definitely beat them. So yeah. how's yeah. that this year looking? Do you think you're going to get it again? I think so. Okay. This year will probably be my best year ever. Wow. So I have, I have a sheet, and I, I, I should have looked before we came here. I think I'm at 53 wow. transactions for this year. I'll, I'll probably break 65 at least by the year end. Uh, yeah. I, if I had to guess, it, no one's going to be even close to that. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, good. Hopefully you'll keep that, keep that run going. Yeah. So when did you start as a business broker? Oh, let's see. So I'll give you a little background here. I was, I never really planned on being a, a business broker. I was a, I guess I'd consider myself a bit of an ADD entrepreneur. I was always starting businesses, testing things, trying things out. And honestly, it, uh, you know, after a couple of years, I'd, I'd move on. I'd either sell a business or a business would just not work out. I mean, I had plenty of those. But over the last couple of years, well, a couple of years, I go back prior to like 2010, 2013, I sold two of my bigger businesses. So I went through the process as, you know, from like a buyer-seller standpoint, working with business brokers. My, my second business I sold in 2013, I had about 90 employees and wow. almost everyone's heard of it. You remember the old cheesy commercials where the lady falls down and says, help, I've fallen, I can't get up? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so we were the West Coast Operations Center for Life Alert, Life cool. Coach. So I had, uh, yeah, like 40-day four, shift, 40-night shift, some admin managers in there. Sold that business in 2013. That was, like I said, the second business I sold. And as I mentioned before then, I'd gone through the process, selling another company, trying to sell companies, buy, sell companies prior to that. And frankly, just kind of being as honest as, <laughs> as I can here. After that second business that I sold, I was so unimpressed with the business brokers that I worked with and that I met that I thought I could do a better job. And I had 
time at that point trying to, you know, I always kind of like in the back of my mind thought that going to be a fun, cool profession. I don't know a lot about it, but maybe one day I'll look into it. So when I sold that one in 2013, I had the time to kind of start researching and learning about it. Luckily, I had the right background. I had an accounting undergraduate degree. I got into Harvard for my master's of finance. So I had a pretty good financial background. I had a background as far as operating businesses, so I, I, I could relate well to people looking to sell their business, what they were going through, the emotions, and the, just the, the, some of the challenges that they'll go through. And so I had the right background to go and get both the license as a business broker, which in, in the state I'm in is a, is a licensed state, but also the right background to go and get certified as a business appraiser. And so I've gone through a couple different certifications, organizations as a business appraiser. That's been, I think, really key for me. I'm the only one in the state of Nevada that I'm aware of that it does both, that wow. it has a business broker permit and license to do business appraiser uh, appraisals. In fact, I'm just wrapping up a certification for a business, for an appraiser of equipment as well. It's a separate certification. But that's been really helpful for me is part of the process that I ran into with business brokers is, again, just kind of frankly speaking, it's a very like gray hair, old man industry full of a bunch of people who work part time. And you kind of get like part-time effort out of them. That that was what was so frustrating as a seller is, you know, they can't use technology. They don't even know what a CRM is. <laughs> they can't call you back. They take four or five days if they call you back at all. I mean, right. that's just it's such a frustration that buyers reach out to brokers and don't get good feedback, good response at all. The The point I was making is it's been really helpful for me to be able to value businesses properly and really know what banks are looking for, really know what buyers, CPAs are going to be looking for from a due diligence standpoint. So I can want not only set expectations for a seller, but we can get ahead of any issues that might be there prior to going to market. And I can put together a decent package when I then go to market. That was the other frustration part of some of these business brokers, you know, call it executive summary or pitch deck or whatever they call it. I mean, they're just like, atrociously embarrassing yeah and so it's really helped to be able to put together better packaging so that we can justify and we can back into the numbers we are asking for for a particular business and it sets realistic expectations for sellers right I'm not going to go in and just do this random back of the napkin sloppy valuation because the seller wants a million dollars for their business. Yeah, I think I can get that for you. No, I'm going to, I'm going to do a valuation and I'll tell you what I really think I can get for it. And then, and the seller's opinion of what they think their business is worth is not that relevant. I'm yeah. going to do market research and, and the seller can, we'll get them as much as we possibly can, but we, you know, the, the seller's not going to dictate the price. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a really good background with, you know, having your own businesses, which, you know, having an accounting degree, having your own businesses, selling your own businesses, really kind of, you noticed a, maybe like a hole Mm -hmm. in the, you know, in the industry. So kind of like running a business, right? If you look at, you can see there's a need. You said, hey, I can, I can probably do this better, at least be more responsive, right? Yeah, Uh, exactly. But then again, having a background in the you know business world where when you're talking to a seller, 
you're giving a more real world, you know, answers and you can provide some experience because you've gone through it. That's kind of a, a thing I've seen across the board with, with good business brokers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a background in business, maybe sold two or three, and seems to kind of be a, a common answer I get when I'm talking and getting to know business brokers. Is, How'd you get into this? Well, I sold my business, yeah. and the person that sold it didn't do a good job, and I know I can do better than them. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's nice to see, and I know sellers, buyers are always looking for a broker that can, you know, actually take that deal and get it across the yeah. finish line. And as we're seeing now, even more kind of this new wave of buyers come through, you, you've got to manage a little bit of both, right? Because you're having a lot of people retire so you have that you know generation maybe that's not as tech savvy and stuff mm-hmm. and then you've got buyers that are coming in that are a younger generation so you kind of being in the middle and then understanding both sides i'm sure is is really helping so. yeah yeah the technology is a big part of it however you know and, and maybe i'll get off at a little tangent here you can you can tell me to to get back on track <laughs> Go for technology it. allows me to be very efficient and effective with my time and the amount of listings I can do, the amount of closings I can do, the amount of people I can communicate with. But there's a point where high tech has to be replaced with high touch. Mm -hmm. So the technology allows me to be really effective on the front end. The inquiries, the NDA process, getting buyer information, but at a certain point, I can't rely on technology, which from a job security standpoint is great because technology is never going to just re- totally replace business brokering, in my opinion, I don't think. The point I'm making is technology allows me to be very efficient and effective on the front end, but there's a certain point in the process where I have to be high touch, where I can't rely on automated text messages and voicemail drops and emails and videos where I need to really start building the relationship with the buyer and the seller. And so there's a balance there. And I know sometimes as, as I talk with business brokers, they, they get kind of all excited about technology and how they want to implement it. There's a, there's a time and a place for it, up till a certain point. At, at a certain point, then it's all about building relationships. And you have to balance that. There's, there's no way around, around that, which right. is good from yeah. a job security standpoint. Yeah. So now that you've, you know, obviously you figured it out, you, you did meet the need in the marketplace based on, you know, all the awards you're winning, all the certifications you have, you know, you had mentioned before you would start a business and I wouldn't call it getting bored with it, but I tend to be a little of the ADD, ADHD as well, where, you know, the building of something and the starting of something is, is very exciting, right? And then you kind of conquer it and go, okay, what's next? Do you see yourself continuing to push? You know, are you, is this what you're going to do forever? Have you thought about that at all? I've thought about it in the sense of being more surprised than anything. It's the longest I've lasted in any industry without <laughs> being bored. And I'm not bored at all yet. Right. So I'm not even like, uh, you know, I, I use business brokering to then fund other investments and other opportunities. But I'm not bored at all. I'm not looking at other you know, industries longingly thinking, wonder what it's like over there, like I used to do. So at this point, I have no, no, no point in slowing down, no, no desire to, to change. And I hope I don't run into that. If I do, I'm trying to set up my foundation where I could, you know, I could do that easily with other income and, you know, passive investments that are 
for producing income, but I haven't run into that yet, and I don't know if I will for at least for a long time because every day is so different. Mm -hmm. And I walk into a ten million dollar steel fabrication company one day, and then I walk into a you know little dinky mom and pop restaurant the next day, and it's it's just so unique and different. So I haven't run into being kind of the monotonous, boring. Issues of, uh, of running into uh, running running other businesses that I've uh, that I've had to deal with. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think our our industry is is unique in a way that you'll never really get bored because there's always so much that's going on and there's so many different things. You know, I've I feel kind of the same way. I always joke that there's you know people that do SBA lending that just do real estate, and then there's people that do just business acquisitions and. Sometimes I ask myself why I do the business acquisitions because it's so hard. But at the end of the day, it keeps me awake and yeah. it, it keeps me motivated. And it's kind of cool to see the transition of somebody selling a business and someone buying a business. Yeah. So. The other thing that's really helpful is it, there's so much to learn. Yeah. Like there's just so much more that you can learn. Yeah, you become a little bit of an expert in every industry. Yeah. Some obviously you, you, you gain a little bit more, but... It's very, like, I always kind of laugh. My wife will say, if there's a business owner out there and you run into them, you can talk to them for two hours about their business because you've dealt with so many different things. And I'm yeah. sure you're the same way. But it's, and it's kind of fun and it's exciting, you know, learning more and more. And yeah. there's, you know, you and I were working on a wedding chapel listing and I kind of laughed and said, I've never done a wedding chapel. I've done, you know, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars, never done a wedding chapel. I said, I really want to do it so I could say I did a wedding chapel, yeah. you know. So you kind of find other little things that that keep you motivated. So do you have a, like a minimum or a maximum, you know, kind of what's the smallest deal you'll work on? What's the biggest deal you've done? Now give us a little background on that. I don't really have any, any criteria there. Okay. Obviously I like the bigger, the better. Those are, <laughs> those are always nice and interesting. I don't necessarily have a minimum transaction size, primarily because we have a minimum transaction fee. And so as long as the seller's okay paying it, sometimes those, you know, again, just kind of quite honestly, sometimes those, well, it's like the two extremes. Sometimes those are the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I spend more hours on that dumb little, you know, $100,000 deal than I did on the last $4 million deal. Right. But then on the flip side, sometimes they just move really quick. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. I've, I've done some really small transactions where the seller isn't really worried about cashing out how much they're getting at, at, at the sale. There's some sort of motivating cause for why they're selling. Mm. And they need to get out of the lease liability. Uh, okay. They need to get out of the franchise liability. They need to get out of something. And so they're, you know, the smallest deal I've ever done was literally, I don't think the seller walked away with any money. <laughs> it was enough to cover our minimum transaction fee plus the closing costs, and maybe he had a couple hundred bucks left. And he was as ecstatic as can be because he had, he wanted, he had some problems with the employees. He had some issues with the lease, the landlord, the liability that were, that were causing him some problems in his other business. Ah, okay. And so he just needed out. Yeah. And so we we sold the business, transferred everything, did a lease assignment. He got out, and he was as happy as can be. And I I got the minimum transaction fee that we charge, and he's since like referred a, a, other people over to me. 
great. real, you know, bigger transactions. So it was worth working on the smaller deals. You well, know. not only is it worth, worth, I mean, if I got paid on it, of course, that's always yeah. worth it. I'm, I'm not, I try and make sure that I, I'm not like, sometimes business brokers kind of graduate to this, like, I'm too good for these small deals. Yeah. And I try and stay away from that mentality. Because the small deals, the volume of the small deals add up. Correct. The volume of small deals add up to nice referrals. Yeah. And I never want to be in the position where I'm like, oh, I'm too good for these small little deals. I'm only going to do big deals. And I only do a handful of big deals and until one year I have a bad year. I would rather, my personality is to stay busy. I don't, yeah. like, you know, my my retirement goal one day is not to wake up and golf and have nothing on my calendar. That sounds awful. Yeah, I agree. I, so small <laughs> deals, like, it keep, keeps me busy. It keeps yeah. life interesting, and, and I don't mind being busy. I like being busy, so I fill that time with small deals, and that adds up to a nice income. Yeah, and what's the biggest deal you've done? Biggest deal I've done, I need to go back on my sheet and look. Probably... In the four, I don't think I've done anything over five million. Okay, still a good size, yeah. Yeah. You know, those are, you know, typical Main Street type. Deals. Yeah, still all yeah. in the Main Street. I'm, I'm definitely not in the, the M and A. Although yeah. I'd, I'd love to do bigger deals. Of course. Than that, that's just kind of where I tend to flourish, or where I tend to get referrals from. Yeah, I mean, you're you're hitting singles and doubles. You know, mm-hmm. occasionally get a triple, and that. That's you know what you want to do keeps yeah. you busy keeps your pipeline going so so you know obviously with the with the podcast what we really want to do is of course give buyers and sellers some you know information that they can utilize when they're thinking about buying or thinking about selling so when you think about a seller and you go in through the process of looking at their business seeing what it's worth and everything you know obviously you've got the appraiser you know certification you know what you're doing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. If you have a seller that calls you and says, hey, I'm thinking about selling, what's the process from that point on? What, what do you look for? What do you look at? So two questions there. What do I look for and what do I look, look for and look at? So let me address both of those. From a broker standpoint, what I'm looking at in the seller is, are they friendly and nice? Is it someone I want to work with? Right. That's important because I'm going to end up spending a lot of time and, 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 you know, just with them going through the process. And I'm not in a position where I really want to work with mean, grouchy, negative people. <laughs> I mean, no one likes that. But, of course. <laughs> and, and so I, I look for that. Is it someone I want to work with? Secondly, I look for how realistic are they on their, on their asking price? And that's why, again, I think it's so important that I do good valuation work up front so that I can justify to the seller why we are at the price we're going to go to market with. And if they come back to me and say, no, 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 my business is worth this and I'm not selling for a penny less, which happens a lot, right? I mean, that's just the the nature of the business. I need to see, like, how close are they to to reality? And I'll, I'll give you an example literally just yesterday i got a property management company for sale in escrow we we are supposed to be closing on it in just a couple of days on the 31st here the seller was just absolutely adamant that it was two million dollars that's where we're going to list and i i fought him on it maybe it's not the right word i just i you know i really prepped i'm like i don't think we're going to get more than 1.6 for this thing 
it's you know I've, I've sold a number of those businesses i know the market i know the multiples i did the market research on the multiples they all kind of backed into where i thought and i told them i just don't think we're going to get 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 much and so we i gave in to them because it was a really good listing they 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 they're very profitable yeah and usually property management sells pretty quickly you've yeah. seen people overpay a little bit for them yeah i gave i gave in to it i told them look let's go to market i'm going to need you to be flexible on the price because we're not going to get we're not going to get two i think we're going to get 1.6 if we get somewhere above or in between that i need i need to know you you can work with me oh yeah well yeah that's fine we'll do it well, I got the offer. Offer came in for two million, or I'm sorry, one point nine. Okay. We settled on one point nine. Buyer, in their due diligence, has kind of backed into didn't accept a couple of our ad backs. We we I honestly had to be a little bit aggressive on the ad backs, mm-hmm. just to kind of like push that valuation to where he wanted. They came back and said, "We think the business is worth one point six. We're willing to pay one point seven. <laughs> I go back to the seller. I'm like, politely, I said, I told you so. <laughs> right. right? I didn't say it in those terms, but I told you like, so. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And so, and, and he's, you know, he's having a hard time with it. He's struggling with it. I do look for sellers that can be realistic on that price point. They, they got to be flexible on it. They got to be close to, to, to realistic valuations. So two, those are two things I look at. And then you'd ask me, what, what, is a, what does it look like for the seller when we go in? We're going to look at financials, and you've probably talked about this on some of your other up episodes. We're going to look at the last three to five years. We're going to look at a weighted average as, as to that. We're going to try and normalize the financials. We're going to do market research on what the market multiple is, make some adjustments, some addbacks to that. And then we're just going to, for the most part, take a multiple of, of earnings on evaluation. And that's generally what it looks like for a, from a seller standpoint, collecting those documents, identifying the adjustments, the addbacks we need to make, and then trying to put together a good executive summary or pitch deck, whatever a business broker calls that, and then going to market to find a buyer. Cool. Okay. And then do you work with buyers at all? Yes. Okay. The real question is, will the grumpy old business brokers that I <laughs> contact to Cobrook, will they work with me? Right. So, I, yeah, I, I work with, with buyers, and I'm happy to work with, with them in that situation. Honestly speaking, I don't know why, if, if other business brokers honestly had their client's best interest at heart, why would they not Cobrook with another broker? It boggles my mind. Yeah. But a lot of them don't. And so it, that becomes a little bit of a challenge when a buyer contacts me and says, I, I really want to have you represent me. Let's find a business. They find a business represented by someone else, and they're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to co-broke. I don't, I don't co-broke on deals. I'm like, do you care about your client? I mean, <laughs> here's a buyer. Let's, work. Right. let's, let's do this. Yeah, we, we, see, we see that a lot. It's very different than real estate. Pretty much any transaction has somebody representing somebody. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go into a lawsuit and try to represent yourself, right? You know, people try it. I don't think it works. <laughs> so, you know, kind of same, same thing. So as far as you'll take on a buyer, so what does that look like? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm interested in buying in the HVAC world, can you help me find a business? 
Do you charge them a fee? Do you try to work at finding you know a listing that they might not know about? You know how does how does that go? It's tough. Not had a lot of success. Like having a buyer come to me and saying, "This is my criteria. Go and find me like an off market deal." That's tough to do. I yeah. don't. I haven't. I have not had much success with it. I don't know of a good like duplicatable system. And and mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking for, right? If I if I had the time, probably that would work if I cold called, you know, 200 businesses in that industry yeah. and I could find something. But I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking for duplicatable systems from my end so so I can do volume. So, I've not had a lot of success doing it that way. I traditionally when I find when I work with a buyer, I will have them try and do some basic research to identify what's out there and see what might be interest to them and then I'll reach out to the brokers okay. to find out a little bit more detail. Is the business available? What do the financials look like? Let's look at their, you know, their awful pitch deck and <laughs> see see what we can do with it. And so then I'll step in at that point. Okay. So now if you've got a you know, you got the listing, right? You've got it listed, you find a buyer, you put them together, they come to an agreement on the price. What kind of advice could you give to both buyer and seller? during the process from signing either an LOI or a purchase agreement to the closing? Because I I feel like that's something that really needs to be discussed. You know, I've seen where a seller kind of goes on autopilot, disappears. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you've seen a buyer try to get into, you know, get into the business and already start running it. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Give some people some advice on how they can keep that transaction in line, make sure it closes and and what they should be doing during that time. Yeah. So we could probably do 10 podcasts on on all that type of stuff. So (laughs) really high level. There's really kind of two sides of that. Ideally, the seller's advice should be well before the LOI. I'm I'm hoping that a seller's been prepped to again have good valuations, you know, good uh, good justification for why they are asking for what they're asking for so that you can really back in to the adjustments, the add backs, the you know, do the financials meet their do the financials match their tax returns and really just good clean financial records. That's probably the first set of advice from a selling standpoint is make sure you've got good clean financials. It's tough. I've got a business right now. It's a great little, they do freshwater and saltwater fish, you know, the, 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 the tanks, the servicing, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. They make good money on their P and L statements. Their tax returns don't match anything, <laughs> anything close to the P and L statement. So it's a challenge. No bank's going to touch it because no bank's going to touch it. They're looking at, a, obviously, a discounted price. They're looking now at having to maybe do seller financing. And so if sellers can really clean up their financial records beforehand, that's helpful. If sellers can try and put together basic documents so they have a general set of due diligence documents that they know their CPA or someone with, like, a third party is looked at, you know, from, again, outside of, like, the seller's eyes, you know, a third party looking at the due diligence documents, the financials, the you know, does does everything match and kind of marry up and bank statements and all that type of stuff. We we you know, that's helpful to really prep a seller so they know what they're getting into. And and don't run into problems with asking for unreasonable prices, asking for, you know, problems that will be c- uncovered in the due diligence 
phase, let's kind of get, get ahead of that if we can and clean that up. Sellers, again, sell, I'm saying on seller's advice, if they've got any type of way to remove themselves from the business so the business isn't totally dependent on them, they're not the decision maker, they're not the, you know, like some people kind of hear the hub and spoke model. If they're the hub, if they're the controlling everything and business doesn't work without them, that becomes a harder business to sell. Can you sell them? Yeah, absolutely. But you're not going to get as high of a price for it. It's going to be a bigger challenge. You know, the easiest way to think about that is what happens if the seller, without notice, took 30 days off from their business? Is their business going to completely crumble? Or maybe, hopefully, only certain areas of their business might crumble or slow down. If that's the case, then fix those areas. You know, start to build systems, processes, procedures, you know, protocols, empower employees with manuals and, you know, standard operating procedures to, to, to operate without the seller. That's always helpful from a seller standpoint, preparing for, for a sell. Staying again on that same topic, hiring a, a, a team of advisors is really key. Do they have a CPA to help them with all of their gathering all the documents, the financials, gathering the due diligence documents? Do they have someone to help them with a business appraisal? Do they have a business broker? That's key because I know a lot of sellers sometimes try and do this on their own. You know, entrepreneurs are like uh, kind of a do-it-yourself, I got this, I can handle it, and I can do it better than anyone else mentality. And, and that's what, frankly, got them in business often. The challenge with that is it's so time-consuming that when you try and be all of those pieces, all of those professions, while you're running your business, one of them ends up suffering. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen this a lot where they try and do this themselves and they take their eye off of the business and now the business revenue starts to dip and decline and isn't it headed in the right direction. Yeah, so, and then you're stuck trying to figure out a way to keep it going yeah. through the transaction process. Yeah, so the, the, the advice from a seller standpoint is high. You know, get the right team. You know, get a lender, get a CPA, get a tax attorney, get a business broker, get a business appraiser, get all of those guys in there to do their job so you can do your job of just continuing to run the business. From a buy side, you know, a lot of those same things are applicable. You know, be prepared to go in there and, and do due diligence. Make sure you can back into the numbers and you can justify that what they claim is, is, is valid and, and is true. You can justify that. And, and the buy, buy side needs their own team. You know, they need CPAs that can look at everything. They can reconcile. They can, you know, do, a, you know, do whatever type of reports they need for the, to feel confident in the due diligence. They'll need a business broker to help them through the process. They'll need just a general team to walk them through it. Because a lot of the deals, most people, at least that I work with, are first-time buyers, first-time sellers. They've, they've never done this before. And so they need the help to go through that process. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing that maybe you left off that nobody really talks about, they probably need a psychologist as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'd say it's... It's very interesting to see this this kind of dynamic where a seller is usually excited to sell, right? Mm-hmm. So you come in, you get them, you know, ready to go. They're all excited. They're pumped. That hits the market. The buyer comes along, says, "This is what I've been looking for. It's the price that I'm I'm ready to pay. I've got yeah. you know the money to buy it. All this stuff." 
and they're both kind of at that point in a good spot and they're happy. And then I feel like it, both sides go up and down with the emotions through the next 30, 60, 90 days that it takes to close. And they never seem to be on the same page, which then goes back to having a good broker because half the time that's what you're doing is you're playing a little bit of a psychologist working with those emotions. And it's understandable. You have a seller who, you know, feels like they're, dropping their kid off at college right or or having them go off and be married and then you have a buyer who's like i promise i'll take care of your kid but do i really want to spend that much money and they're all nervous and it's back and forth all over the place so yeah we've seen a lot of deals where it's it's ready to go right at the beginning and then it's all over the place and then it finally closes and everything everything ends up being okay yeah I've, i've seen at the closing table everything from jump for joy to tears and you know they're not sure what they are they happy are they sad they're (laughs) confused yeah i've seen it all you know the one thing that again from a selling standpoint that i've seen is the sellers who struggle post sell Mm -hmm. are the ones who don't have an identity outside of their business Mm. there's no whatever it is there's no community you know, hobby, there's no sports program, there's no church that they have like an identity outside of their business. And so those guys really struggle because you are, their business is literally like a part of themselves. It's not a vehicle that's just serving and providing them, you know, financial freedom. Yeah. It's, it's like their social their network. Yeah, yeah. That's who they go and hang out with. I got, right. I sold a, a really nice corporate catering business a while ago. And the the seller thought he wanted to sell, but his business was him. Like it was everything about him. That's who he hang on the weekends after work. He goes and hangs out with the employees. I mean, it was like, there's no identity outside of work. So post sell, he just like psychology you know, from a psychology standpoint, he just like crumbled. He didn't know what to do with himself because he had no, he didn't have, you know, something else to do. He didn't have any other purpose. And so if you are a seller, you might want to think about, you know, do you have something to do after? And maybe you don't. And that's okay, because those type of sellers always come back to me, and they end up becoming buyers. Yeah, I was going to say, they have probably a good opportunity to go yeah. buy something. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe that's what they are. They're, they're an entrepreneur. And yeah. they sell one business and get into another. Which is totally fine, but you just don't want to trick yourself into thinking that you've been working, you know, 80 hours a week for the last 20 years and you think you're going to be happy sitting on the beach drinking margaritas for the rest of your life and all of a sudden after like four days you want to shoot yourself because you're so bored. Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, uh, those type of guys come back to me all the time and sellers become buyers. Yep. Yeah, I think it's that's a lot of the the dynamic... um, during the sale is the seller is trying to understand, well, what am I going to do? You know, and then they kind of have this, that's my business. Like I, you didn't sit here and, you know, cry yourself to sleep yeah. for days and, you know, spend holidays working all that. And then the buyer is sitting there saying, I'm, I did that before with something else. You don't know me, you know? Yeah. So it's like trying to get them to kind of get on the same page is very difficult. So, um, it's a. It's not an easy, you know, transaction. You're not buying a house. You're yep. you're buying something that is completely different. There's definitely more risk involved, and there's a lot more emotion involved with it. So yeah. yep. that's, that's some that's, that's true. Some great advice. Um, so one thing I like to do, uh, 
kind of wrapping up and I always ask the same two questions. So first one is, do you have a mentor or did you ever have a mentor? Um, in this industry? Just in, just in, in general? life in general, yeah. <laughs> you know what, I'm a big... Um, I'm a I'm a huge reader, learner. Okay. I love learning. Like like I don't drive around with the mu- like music in my car. Yeah. It's always a book, a podcast. So in that sense, you know, like professionally, I don't necessarily have one mentor per se. I'm I'm constantly looking, reading, watching videos, listening to podcasts. I spend probably way too much money buying courses, like out there. I I love those. Like, yeah. I, and some of them You're are soaking it up. Yeah. yeah, I just like you know. Well, I won't I won't give you an example. It was somewhat related to the industry stuff. I can learn and apply, but it's not totally in the industry. I just like learning and growing, and and uh, so in that sense, no, not necessarily one mentor per se. But I'm I'm looking everywhere I can to gain knowledge and experience from whoever I can. From a outside professional standpoint, um, like religion, church is very important to me. I'm very active in that. I have I have like mentors, you know, from that standpoint where I, I spend time learning and teaching and serving like church, religious, community type stuff. And there's a, there's mentors there, but um, given that this is a professional podcast, no, not not any real professional mentors. No, either way, I mean. Definitely always try to try to see if there was someone that kind of helped you along the way. So it makes sense. And then the second question I always ask is, what motivates you? You know, you've mentioned kind of having the, the ADHD thing, you know, jumping from one thing to the other. Doesn't sound like it's it's the money, although I'm sure you're doing well having, you know, a lot of listings and closing so many deals. You know, what what motivates you? What keeps you going? Well, the easy answer is I'm still motivated by money. <laughs> I still like I still like closing that deal and having a nice deposit in my bank account. Yeah. Um and then I like like I referenced I use that to then fund other business opportunities and investments that type of stuff. Um but you know that that motivation only goes so far. Um motivation obviously is, you know, the basic kind of like foundational motivation is just providing for my wife and kids. We've been married 20 years and I've got four kids and, you know, providing a, a good life for them. Um, you know, that just kind of basic motivation is, is obviously always there. Um, and, you know, at a certain point you kind of make enough and you have enough other income where like your basic life necessities are kind of taken care of, which is, one of the great things of living in America, where in the the, the economy that we do, um, one of the other things that I found motivating is I like putting deals together. Um, it doesn't really get old, and that's that's why I don't necessarily get overly picky on deal sizes. Is I get the same satisfying feeling of putting a little hundred thousand dollar pizzeria deal together as I did from I just closed on a. Um, I think we did it for 1.8 million with the working capital a surgical center on Friday. It's like the same like general satisfying feeling of, of, of getting buyer and seller to agree, get them on the same page, get them moving forward, closing the transaction. I like that. I get satisfaction out of 
out of providing value to other people. Um, in fact, that was, that was when I sold my second business, before I really got into this industry, I kind of like bought into the world's view of like, you know, the Tim Ferriss four hour work week. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I sold my (laughs) second business. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a good position. I'm kind of set. And I, uh, it was awful. It was like the worst thing after like four or five days. It was like, I woke up and I have nothing on my calendar. I have nothing on my to-do list. I have no one to call. It was like, yeah, I still have purpose. Like, yeah, I'm still a dad and I still, you know, have church responsibilities and community responsibilities. But I didn't have like a like a purpose as far as like making, you know, providing value like in the business world. And and that that was that was not fun for me. Like that idea of retirement does not sound sound fun. So I like having I like being busy. I like having purpose i like getting deals done i like providing value to buyers and sellers and walking through the transaction and having them give me a big hug or high five at closing knowing that they either funded their retirement and maybe retirement for them is looks totally different than what it does for me or they got into a business that they always wanted to they got out of a job they hated and into a business that they wanted and and that uh, that's that's fun that's satisfying that brings me joy yeah sounds like it's a it's fulfilling and it pays the bills yeah yeah good combination yeah Yeah. exactly yeah Yeah. so cool well i really appreciate your time today absolutely Um, how can people find you um yeah yeah. cell phone 702-505-2789 my email address is trent at fcbb.com so it's trent and then it's at stands for first choice business brokers.com so fcbb.com and anyone can reach out anytime with any questions cool thank you very much all right have a good one cool thank you for listening we hope you found this podcast informative and helpful please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player for more information or if you'd like to discuss a transaction please go to www.jaredwjohnson.com